today I'm going to talk about, or the title of the message and what I'm going to talk about is Gathering Your Army. And the, sub, the subtitle is The Left-Handed Assassin. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, um, who here is a fan of a good assassination story? Yeah? I don't know, it's kind of morbid, but I am. I don't know, when the bad guy, like, gets his justice. Did you guys know that there are stories of assassinations in the Bible? Yeah? Did you guys know that the Bible is, like, rated R? It was a rated R book. It's pretty cool. I mean, it's like, if you're not allowed to watch rated R movies, which you shouldn't watch rated R movies, as it is, but... Yeah, your parents only let you watch PG, okay? Read the Bible and then and then get some fun there, I guess. There you go. <laughs> Kayla's doing this. <laughs> well, it's said, so sorry. Um, the story. The left-handed assassin comes from Judges 3. And if you guys are looking for some really cool adventure stories in the Bible, <laughs> you should read in Judges because there's tons of really fun. What? Oh, okay. Real stories, real fun adventure stories. Um, from the Bible, you guys should read Judges. Just, just do it. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible. That's full of great, real stories. Thank you, John. You just read through it, but what do you? What did you get? Ten out of ten? Yeah, it's so good. I love the stories. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. Okay. So, what is Judges? What is the kind of the setting of Judges? Um, the setting of Judges. You can go to the next slide. The setting of Judges is like after the children of Israel are enslaved in Egypt and they escape from that, or God delivers them. And that was coming from John right there. He's going to correct me pretty soon. After God delivers them from Egypt and they come out and they do a lot of conquering of the promised land and they're living there. And so it's after that, but before they have kings. So in this kind of time period where they have they have prophets, and they have judges, and the prophets and judges kind of rule over the nation. And the, the judges are, most simply put, military leaders that come in and save Israel's butt when they get, like, in trouble. Okay? So, they get, they get, they get into this cycle where the children of Israel, first here at the top, they are serving God, and then they start disobeying God. They fall into sin and idolatry, which basically means that they start worshiping the gods of the other nations and not only God, which God says, only worship me and do that. Um, so they start worshiping these other gods, and then God's like, well, it's your own fault. And the other nations come in and enslave them and conquer them, and then they're enslaved. And then a certain period of time goes by, and the Israelites are like, okay, I'm going to call on God and ask God to rescue me because this really stinks being enslaved by this other people. And um, so they cry out to God. God raises up a judge, a military leader to deliver them. And then they get delivered, and then they serve God. And so on so on. So that's kind of like the book of Judges, like all of these amazing stories of um, military leaders in the nation of Israel that lead them out of their pitfalls. Um, you can go to, yes, Judges 3, 12 through 14. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and because they did this evil, the Lord gave, oh, I'm sorry, this is the beginning of the story of Ehud, the, the judge we're talking about tonight. Got ahead of myself. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. 
Getting the Ammonites and Amalekites to join him, Eglon came and attacked Israel and took possession of the city of Palms. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. So they're in this part of the cycle where they disobey God and they get conquered, and then they're enslaved. And this time they're enslaved for 18 years, longer than most of you guys have been alive. Yikes. That's a long time. Can you imagine just being born in, enslaved in that time, like at the very beginning, if you were born and then you were enslaved for all those 18 years, not knowing anything else, that you were a free nation, that you're supposed to be worshiping God? That would be horrible. Okay, next slide. Um, again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. So this is the part where they say, God, save us. <laughs> Um, and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gera the Benjamite. The Israelites sent him with tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Ehud had made a double-edged sword about a cubit long, which he strapped to his right thigh under his clothing. Um, so during that time, the Israelites would have to send tribute to the king Eglon, um, like a, like taxes or whatever. And uh, Ehud makes his plan. He's a left-handed guy. And at that time, uh, most people were right-handed. And if you try, if you, if you were like a little two-year-old and you started using your left hand, they would force you to use your right hand. For some reason, that's better at the time. I don't know. So he is left-handed and so kind of makes his plan to conceal a weapon and now they would, if they were going to draw a weapon and you're right-handed, you draw it from your left side. So he's left-handed, so he puts it on his right side. And this is to conceal the weapon from the guards and everything that he's going through to bring this tribute to King Eglon. Pretty cool. He presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, who was a very fat man. It, it seems like it doesn't fit, but it does, okay? Uh, after Ehud had presented the tribute, he sent on their way those who had carried it. But on reaching the stone images near Gilgal, he himself went back to Eglon and said, Your majesty, I have a secret message for you. The king said to his attendants, Leave us, and they left. So now he's alone with the king. Sorry, you guys, you can read it. Okay, this one is very small. Uh, Ehud then approached him while he was sitting alone in the upper room of his palace and said, I have a message from God for you. As the king rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand, drew the sword from his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. Even the handle sank in after the blade, and his bowels discharged. Ehud did not pull the sword out, and the fat closed in over it. <laughs> then Ehud went out into the porch. He shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. After he had gone, the servants came and found the doors of the upper room locked. They said, he must be relieving himself in the inner rooms of the palace, basically. Maybe he needs privacy in the bathroom. <laughs> they waited to the point of embarrassment, but when he did not open the doors of the room, they took a key and unlocked them there they saw their Lord fallen to the floor, dead. Um, I think that scene is so cool. I have a message from God for you. <laughs> like, wow, if there's like movie of the Bible, you know, in heaven, that'd be pretty cool to watch. I hope there is such thing. Maybe not for some parts, but, but that part, they could just, not show that part, I guess. That would be gross. Okay, so. <laughs> All right, what happens next? Um, okay, so Ehud, he goes out on the porch after he stabs him, and he escapes. And the, the servants are like, man, he's taking a long time in the bathroom. So after a while, they go in, and he's dead. <clears throat> While they waited, Ehud got away. He passed by the stone images and escaped to Sira. When he arrived there, he blew a trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim, and 
the Israelites went down with him from the hills, with him leading them. Follow me, he ordered, for the Lord has given Moab, your enemy, into your hands. So they followed him down and took possession of the fords of the Jordan that led to Moab. They allowed no one to cross over. At that time, they struck down about 10,000 Moabites, all vigorous and strong. Not one escaped. That day, Moab was made subject to Israel. The land had peace, and the land had peace for 80 years. Um, from 18 years of slavery to 80 years of peace. Amazing, amazing story. How many, just curious, how many of you guys had know, knew that story already? A couple of you. A couple of you. Well, that doesn't apply. I just wanted to know. Okay, so uh, you can go to the next slide, Gregory, if you would. Um, whatever it takes. I kind of want to just review for a second what we've what we've learned for and it, and it, it candy. I got it. I love candy it's so much. Um, thinking back to the past sermons that we've done. Who does Ehud represent? Who does he represent? Come on. Jesus. Caitlin? Sorry. You're too slow. Well, you're too slow, Charlie. Answer the next one. Just like Isaac was preaching, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, did, what, <laughs> did whatever it took to be close to you, to save you from your sin. He died on the cross. He risked everything just like Ehud did. Okay, next one. <laughs> Who does the children of Israel represent? Us. Yes. Thank you. Yay. You. Yes. You. The, the children of Israel represent you and me and everyone and all the leaders, even Isaac. And so just like in Katie's message, she was talking about we need to come to God when we're in trouble. I mean, anytime we need to come to God. Sometimes we're desperate for a word from God. We're stuck in this horrible cycle. We didn't follow God and this and this, and now we've been trapped for all this time, 18 years. So we need to come to God. We need to bring ourselves to God and cry out to God to save us. Help us to bring us a word. Uh, good job, Gregory, but next one. What did Ehud do after king, killing King Eglon? A, a child, I mean, a youth. <laughs> okay, Charlie. What did Ehud do after killing King Eglon? Charlie gets a chance. Uh, he did escape, but that's not the point I'm going for. Okay, going even more backwards. Hey, oh, Gregory, I'm sorry, but you, you had started, so you, go ahead. He led the people out to help them save them. Not exactly. Gregory? He did. He did. He, he went out. He, he blew his... <laughs> then he blew his trumpet and gathered his army. And then the army went and crushed the Moabites. 10,000 men, all vigorous and strong. That's what it says. All right. There you go. There you go. There you go. That, 
over there and Gregory, come get one after, okay? Uh, I'm afraid to do that, honestly. <clears throat> okay, so this is this part right here. He escaped from the palace and he went out, he blew his trumpet and gathered his army. I'm kind of guessing that he probably had gotten them ready before he went in. He was like, hey, I'm going to kill this guy. Why don't you guys get ready so we can go crush these Moabites? And so he blew his trumpet and everybody got ready and they crushed them. They delivered the children of Israel from the Moabites' hand and they had peace for 80 years. What would have happened if he didn't gather his army, do you guys think? They probably still would have been enslaved. That would, if that happened, that wouldn't have been as good of a story. That's what I'd say about that. Um, this is what I'm wanting you called out tonight about is gathering your army, just like Ehud did. After you called out to God, God gave you a word, God saved you in some way from your troubles, and now you need the people around you to protect you, to keep you safe, to encourage you, to pray for you, to lift you up. That's what I'm talking about tonight. That's what I'm talking about. Yes, you need an army around you. It is so, so, so essential for your life. Amen? Amen. Okay. So what kind of people should you guys have in your army? This is a rhetorical question. Um, okay. Okay, let's make it not rhetorical. Okay, the more candy. Shay? Did, good. Yes. All right. Isaac? Ginger? <laughs> yeah. There you go. Okay, only uh, only you three more, okay? Wise people. That's actually a good. That's actually a good answer. Okay. Red. Uh, that's been taken. Sorry. There was so many other things you could have said. Big people. Okay, that's. I'm not saying that you shouldn't, but that's not the answer I'm looking for. Hey, 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 two, okay, settle down, settle down, focus back, focus back. Look at me, look at my eyes. Okay, all right, next, next slide, please. Um, is there an animation on that? Because there's supposed to be. Um, okay, we'll just ignore the other ones. So, okay, first verse I want to be talking about and category is people who tell you the truth and that you can trust. Proverbs 16, 28. A twisted person spreads rumors. A whispering gossip ruins friendship. Uh, good friendships. Thank you. It is, in, uh, we have, a, in our time here, adults, everyone, but I think especially as teenagers, there is a huge temptation for gossip. It is a tricky business. It is, it is hard to keep a juicy secret to yourself, am I right? I find it hard. I find something about somebody and to keep my mouth shut, it's tough. It's a tough thing, but it's a learned skill. You get better at it, much better with time. Um, I don't want to toot my own horn or anything. <laughs> and uh, if Kaylin and Isaac wants me to stop talking about this, just you know, just go like that, okay? Um, and I will. But like, okay, when I first met Caitlin, like four and a half years ago. I knew that she was like such a special person and I wanted her to be in my army. Like I wanted her to be a really good friend. <laughs> I don't know why Brandon's laughing. Caitlin's an amazing friend. Brandon, 
care to explain? No, just stop. Just stop. Okay, but so we had, I had, okay, focus in again. Eyes. Thank you. Okay, so I had moved here, and Caitlin and Isaac had moved here basically at the same time, and they had started their ministries, the young adult ministry and this youth ministry here, and there was like, whenever somebody does God's will and starts ministries, there's going to be, like, Satan wants to just, blech, he wants to ruin it, right? And so there was, like, some contention. Most not valid at all in the ministries. And there was people, and I really loved Caitlin. I love her. But at the time, I really loved her very much as a friend. And there was people that gossiped about her to me. And like I said, I'm not trying to toot my own horn or anything, but you know what I did? I did not listen to them. I did not listen to them. I said, stop. I don't want to hear that. That's not true. You're totally off of it. You're wrong. And I also didn't gossip about her or Isaac either to other people because that would have been wrong. You know what happened because of that? So much good friendship. So much love. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that is. This is, this is tough. Okay. Okay, so don't gossip. <laughs> That's the moral of that story. Stay away from gossip. I promise you that if you stay away from listening to gossip and gossiping, it is, you are going to stay out of so much trouble. So much trouble. So many friendships are not going to be ruined. So many feelings are not going to be hurt. So many people are going to be better because of it. I don't know what I was going to say at the end of that. Okay, next one. Proverbs 27, 6. You can trust a friend who wounds you with his honesty but your enemy's pretended flattery comes from insincerity. Does anybody want to put that in like simple words? Simpler words? Abby. Yes, so true. Thank you. That is a really good summary. Thank you. Here's an example. Silly example, really. But let's say you're at a party and you go to the bathroom and you come back, but you forgot something. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, you your flies down, okay? And a person, a pretend flatterer, somebody that's not your friend, will probably just come up to you and be like this. You look really good today. <laughs> like, really good. But somebody who is your friend, who's really your friend, will come and they'll tell you the truth. I'll probably be like, I'm sorry, this is so embarrassing for you, but your fly's down. I'm sorry that it embarrassed you. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> and a more serious example, maybe you're over at a friend's house and you're back talking to your mom because she told you to clean your room and you're just straight up rude. Okay, a pretend flatterer would be like, you're totally justified in being rude to your mom. Like, she shouldn't have told you, blah, 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 and just going on with whatever and saying that you're okay with what you did. That's a pretend flatterer. <clears throat> a friend, in another instance, a friend, a true friend, would be like this. Hey, that was kind of rude to your mom. Maybe you should apologize. And I mean, like, I know it stinks to have to clean your room, but come on. I love you. But 
your room is trashed. <laughs> your room is trashed. You should clean it. And also not be rude to your mom, you know? And that sucks to have to hear that from your friend that you're rude. And it never feels good to have people tell you that you were rude and to correct you. But a true friend would because they love you, because they're willing to hurt you a little bit to help you. Or a lot, a little bit or a lot. <clears throat> Thank you, Isaac. It's good to have a redhead. <laughs> That's okay. <so good. laughs> <laughs> Proverbs 24, 26. Speaking honestly is a sign of true friendship. It's kind of honesty. Okay, I'm not talking like somebody's like, just speaking honestly, your face looks like a cow. <laughs> okay, it's not like that kind of honesty, right? It's a kind of honesty with the intention of, number one, pointing you toward Jesus, and number two, making your relationship better. When somebody's honest with you, it should be honest to point you toward Jesus and to make your relationship better. So if you hurt your friend's feelings, <clears throat> and they're coming to you, and they say, uh, uh, they, they say, hey, you hurt my feelings, and you're a terrible person, and that was horrible, and go fall off a cliff, okay? Maybe they really feel that that's true for themselves, that they feel that way. But that's not the kind of honesty that I'm talking about. I'm talking about somebody who maybe you, something happened between you and they come to you and they actually talk to you about it. And they say, hey, you hurt my feelings. Can we talk about that? Because, ouch. I want to be friends, but I also don't want to, you know, I don't want to be talked to like that. That, that really hurt. And let's settle this. Okay. You guys want to share? Or are you okay? <clears throat> okay. People who tell you the truth and that you can trust. Second category, people that pray for you. James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, this is why it's really important to have people that you trust and don't gossip about you. Because you need to be able to go to those people that are in your army and confess your sins. I mean, even just terrible thoughts that you've had. You know, so that they can pray for you and that they can tell you who you are and raise you up and say, you know what, you might have done that thing, but that wasn't you. You're better than that. I'm going to pray for you so that can, you can be healed. Do you guys want to be healed of the icky stuff going on in your minds? Yes, I do. I do. That's why we need each other. That's why you need the prayers of a righteous person so that you can be healed. It is powerful and effective. Next thing is people that encourage you. Galatians 6.2 Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Like I was saying earlier, you need people that encourage you in a way that point you toward Christ. That they don't just do pretend flattery. Just build you up for whatever, for nothing, for their own gain. <clears throat> but that builds you up to point you toward Christ. What does it mean to carry a burden? It's kind of vague. vague. Sorry. It's kind of vague. I would say, here's an example of someone not carrying a burden well. You're sharing with your friend that, and I know I kind of keep using the example over and over again, but it's effective. <clears throat> You're sharing with your friend that your other friend just really, oh, they said something that made you so mad. They were so rude, and you're just going to cut them off. 
from your friendship. And it's just, it's done. They, they're just terrible people. And your friend goes, you're right. You're justified. You should not forgive them. You should not talk to them. You should just stay mad because what they did was so horrible. You know, you're commiserating with that person and you are in a way sharing your burden with them, but instead of them sharing the load and helping you get free, they're just piling it on more and more and more. Because if you, don't, if you have bitterness and unforgiveness in your life, you will never be free. And it doesn't mean that that person that hurt you has to be a really close friend. But you do need to forgive them and let go of the bitterness. And that's what a true friend, people that encourage you, would do. People, that's what a person who would help carry your burden would do. Would say, I'm sorry that you're hurt. I can see that you're hurting. Have you talked to them about it? Have you made sure that you understand where they were coming from when they said that? Did you hurt them in some way? You know, these kind of questions are a true friend. What a true friend and how a true friend could carry each other's burdens. Well, what if you went through a tragedy or something? Some family member passes away. Someone who wasn't somebody you would want in your army, if you were telling them how sad you were, they would say, well, that's terrible, but listen to how bad my life is. You know, you need people that actually listen to you and hear you and can empathize with you. Hebrews 10.25, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Are the friends and the people around you, the people that have the most influence in your life, are they spurring you toward love and good deeds or something else? Are they encouraging you to act in such a way that shows that you walk with God? You have to ask yourself that question. It's important. Proverbs 30, 20. If you want to grow in wisdom, spend time with the wise. Walk with the wicked and you'll eventually become just like them. Ooh, yeah. Are you guys walking with the wise or the wicked? It's rhetorical, but answer it in your mind. <clears throat> Here's a question for you guys. And thank you to Caitlin for suggesting this. Are you the thermostat or the thermometer in your relationships? A thermometer would rise to whatever temperature it was of the people that surround you. So if the people that surround you are wicked, you're wicked. If the people that surround you are wise, you're wise as far as they can see. A, th a thermostat would be a person that would set the temperature for those around them. When you, you, you affect the change around the people that are, uh, to the people that are around you, you do not just become just like them. That makes sense. Um, I would say if you know in your, in your brain that you are a thermometer, then maybe you should spend more time with the wise than with the wicked until you can become a thermostat. Amen? Okay, people who don't give up on you and you don't give up on them. Proverbs 17, 17. A dear friend will love you no matter what, and a family sticks together through all kinds of trouble. Proverbs 18.24, some friendships don't last for long, but there is one loving friend who is joined to your heart closer than any other. Some of you guys would say that you are best friends. Friends forever. But then you go through this like up and down thing. This up and down and up and down. And this person said this on Instagram and it made me mad. And now I'm not talking to them for two weeks and then you get back together and you're like 
uh, what happened? Oh, I don't know. And you don't have any resolution to it. You don't actually get closer through that process. You just stay friends because you took baths together when you were two. <laughs> That's not a good enough reason. If you really are committed to your best friend or the person that you've like made this covenant relationship with, then stick with them. Stick with them. I want to talk about a great covenant relationship in the Bible. Another amazing military story for you today. Jonathan and his armor bearer. Gregory, do you have that um, slide? Thank you. Jonathan and his armor bearer. So this is, takes place in the time of Israel after the judges and when they have kings. And they're still like living in the same area. They have the same enemies. And the king's name is Saul. And the son's name, the prince, is Jonathan. And they are at war with the Philistines. The Philistines, they're like a lot, okay? Their military is big, it's fierce, it's ferocious. And what they have done to the children of Israel at this time is somehow, it doesn't explain it exactly in the Bible, but they have taken every single blacksmith, probably their tools and everything, out of the country or the area so that nobody can make any swords, or armor, or weapons. So here we have this huge army of the Philistines coming against the children of Israel. And the children of Israel are like this big, medium, small-sized army with farm tools. Yikes. That would be really scary. So they're there, and this is probably why, because they're scared. They're kind of sitting around, twiddling their thumbs. King Saul's not really doing much about the army that's facing him, and Jonathan and his armor bearer, I'm going to go to the Bible here because I'm going to read it, decide to go off and by themselves, and they don't tell, he doesn't tell his dad. Jonathan, the prince, goes off. One day, this is Samuel 14, verse 1, one day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. He was the son of Ichabod's brother. Blah, blah, blah. I don't need to know that. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes and the other Senna. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmash, the other to the south toward Geba. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. So Jonathan is suggesting, just like in this picture, that and there's a Philistine out, outpost up here with a lot of men. He's like, let's go up this hill and go attack all these men by ourselves. And the armor bearer's reply is amazing. He says, do all that you have in mind. Go ahead, I am with you heart and soul. Jonathan said, come on then, we will cross over toward them and let them see us. If they say to us, Wait there until we come to you. We will stay where we are. We will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, "Come up to us," we will climb up because this will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, "Come up to us, and we will teach you a lesson." So Jonathan said to his armor bearer. Climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hands of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in the area of about a half an acre. 
whoa. That armor bearer could have been like, no way, dude, we're going to die. But he didn't. He said, yep, I'm right with you. I trust you. That's a kind of covenant relationship that we need to have with each other, with your best friend. Yes. <clears throat> the armor bearer's response. Well, I think that, I mean, I guess you could say that in a way. Um, I think it really is not a, more of a question of that, but more of a question of the covenant trust that they had between each other and that they had with God. Saying, okay, I trust you. I believe in you. I know that you're going to, that you're, I know that you follow God and I'm just, I'm with you. I'm with you all the way. I'm not going to leave you to go fight these 20-some Philistines in all armor by yourself, which, by the way, they probably only had one sword because only Jonathan and the king had a sword, and the armor bearer was, I don't know, using a club or something in, in the... Yeah, he was carrying <laughs> he was carrying Jonathan's armor, and then he was like, what, did he kill them with his hands? I don't know. Some sheath or something? Some farm tool? A shovel? Frying pan. <laughs> okay, okay, so the end of the story. So after, after they do this and they kill all the people, the God sent an earthquake and a panic on the, Israel, or on the Philistine army, and they got so panicked and so confused that they started killing each other. And then Saul, the king's like, ooh, I'll just go defeat the army. And then he did. Um, some, I don't remember how many, but a lot of them. And then they, they defeated them, and the Israelites were saved for another day. Okay, so where do we find these people that we can make covenants with and have close relationships with? Any ideas? Church, Abby? Church? You're in a great place right now. You're a youth group. Okay, this is a good place. Yes, I mean, those are really good places to find people to have in your army. I think that you couldn't find them anywhere, honestly. There's got to be other Christians, other people for hunger for good relationship that's going to spur you on toward Christ in your schools. But... The thing is that you need to pray. You need to pray and ask God to bring you together with these people. And he will. He will be faithful to bring people to you. Caitlin can attest to that. Caitlin's talked before in sermons about when she was in high school, junior high. I don't know exactly the details, but high school. She didn't have any friends, and she prayed for God to bring her friends, and he did. Testimony. Testify. <laughs> so continue continue coming to youth group go to church if you have a bible study at your school or prayer time meet me at the flag come on go to it get up early oh <laughs> see <laughs> see you at the pole <laughs> okay, that's where you can find people. But most of all, pray, okay? All right, now I want to talk. <laughs> now I just want to talk briefly about, like, okay, how your relationships. I want to say, just forget that it says friendships and think more like, of. Oh, I'm sorry, can you please go to the next? Okay, and now I think about. It just has relationships in your life. <clears throat> There's intimate friends right there at the top. I don't know if you guys can read it, but the description says, committed to the development of each other's character, mutual responsibility of honesty, connected soul to soul. Close friends. Number two, 
Share similar values, ideals, and worldviews, mutual interests, life goals, and work together to achieve goals. Connected mind, body, and spirit. Most people never get this far. Don't read that part. Casual friends, common interests and activities meet more frequently than acquaintances, not serious, emotionally. I would say that the people that you really want to have close to you, like in your army, would be your intimate friends and your close friends. Casual friends can be good, but they're not the ones that you're going and telling your secrets to because you don't know if they're going to gossip about you <clears throat> or betray you in some way. Now, there might be people in your life who are casual friends that you can see, even though they're a casual friend, they are fighting for you. They are like fighting like they're in your army, even though they're not that close to you yet. They pray for you. They encourage you. They point you toward Jesus. They don't gossip about you. <clears throat> in that case, I would suggest if you see someone who's a friend like that, try moving them up to your close friends because it's worth it. When you find someone that you can trust and that would be a good person to be in your army, move them up. And in the same way, if you have someone who's a close friend or an intimate friend who time and time again shows you that they're not fighting for you in the ways that I just pointed out in all those different ways, encouraging, praying, trustworthy, truthful, you can move them down. There's nothing wrong with them. No, I don't agree with this, I cut you off and I'm never talking to you again. I just don't, in some cases maybe. But just like in your friendships, when you want to dial it back from somebody who's maybe not fighting for you, you can just move them to a casual friend. It's not like you have to be like, you, your status has changed and now you're a casual friend. You know, just stop telling them your secrets for goodness sakes. Okay. Let me see. Okay, that was all I had on that one. Okay. Who's in my army? Who's in my, oh, it's rhetorical. I'm sorry. I'm not taking it. <laughs> you won't get candy for this one. Actually, you will. This, this next one. Uh, next. <laughs> Who is these guys? Yeah. <laughs> but it's not fair because, <laughs> wait, just hold on. Okay, can you go back to my mom and dad? Just a second. Um, it's not fair because she's met them. So, cheater. <laughs> this is my mom and dad. They are so amazing. Oh my gosh, I trust them with my life. <clears throat> I know that they pray for me every day. They encourage me. They always point me toward Jesus. Um, they just, they just look, what can I say? I'm their baby. Actually, I'm a middle child, so less than that. <laughs> Okay, next. <laughs> Caitlin! Yeah. Sorry for the really close face-up. I just, it's how it worked. It's how it worked. I would say. <laughs> I love Caitlin. I would say that Caitlin is like at the top of my pyramid intimate friend. Yeah. I trust her with... Like, all my secrets, and my goodness, I've told her some horrible things I've thought, and I'm always amazed because after I say them, I don't know how she does it, but she keeps a straight face. She just goes, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? She goes, mm-hmm. And I'm like, how do you have a straight face? I just said I wanted to murder someone. <laughs> But she does, and then she goes, you know, that you're not, that's not you, and all the things, and she encourages me, and she prays for me. She's a wonderful friend. I have so much more to say about her, but I think I have to move on. Katie! Katie, Katie you're in here. <laughs> I'm sorry, really? I picked the most beautiful pictures because I'm sorry. 
That is a Katie. <clears throat> Katie's such an amazing woman. I'm so thankful to have her in my life. And I, I mean, I hope that you agree with what I have to say. But I would say, like, for the past few years, like, we've known each other. We've been casual friends. We haven't been, like, super close. But in the past, like, month and a half or so, we've started to, like, grow our friendship because, I mean, yes. Like, why wouldn't I? Like, it's the best thing. Yeah. So how have we been doing this? We've been getting together to hang out and just, like, just sharing our lives together, doing worship together, um, praying for each other, sharing just our thoughts, our emotions, and dreams, and hopes. <laughs> and um, so we are, this is an example of somebody just moving from like a casual friend to a, a close friend. And I'm, I'm so jazzed about it, so much. <laughs> uh, next one. Uh, this is Rachel Merrick. This is Josh and Zeke's mom. And that's my son. He's so cute. Look at him. That was like a year and a half ago. Aww. Rachel is a friend, but she's also a mentor. And she is so amazing. She's so wise. Guys, you don't just need friends in your army. You need, 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 need. And I can't stress this enough. You need mentors. Okay? Mentors are smarter than you. They are wiser than you. And they will definitely tell you the truth about what's going on in your life and what they see, and they will definitely pray for you, and they will definitely be faithful with you. So there are a lot of leaders in this room. Get with a mentor. Find someone at church. A lot of those grandmas, if you come to church, they make great mentors. Amen? Yes. If it's not one of us, get a grandma. <laughs> okay, next, next one. Oh, he's so handsome. Yeah, you might think that this is a celebrity photo that I caught up the internet, but it's not. It's my husband on our wedding day. Uh, this is my husband. Yeah, he's so handsome. This is my husband, Derek Jaquist. He's amazing. He's my best friend. He's definitely right up there at the very... Okay, okay, listen. <clears throat> the friendship... Now, I forgot to mention this earlier. You can have more than one best friend, okay? It's not... It's a tier, right? And the, the pyramid, the top of it can fit more than one person, okay? All right? You can. You can. You don't have to have one best friend. Um, Derek loves me unconditionally. He always encourages me. He always comforts me. He always points me to Jesus. Um, and yeah, he's just an amazing man. I'm so grateful to have married him. So handsome too. So, so fetch. Uh, yeah. I wish he could have come tonight. We couldn't find a babysitter. So that was very sad. <clears throat> All right, the next, we can go on to the next one now. All right, I'm coming toward the end. The landing strip is right in front of me, okay? What's the big difference between now and the time of Judges? Rhetorical question, okay? Oh, I don't know what that was. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> the big difference between us now and the children of Israel in the time of the judges and the time of the kings. <sighs> okay, now I'm ready for that big, long scripture verse. Um, I'm going to read this and then I'll explain. I'm sorry that it's so long, but I will break it down for you, okay? What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Amen? Amen. <laughs> now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he, he, dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Yes. Okay. Breakdown. Quick breakdown. <clears throat> the Israelites were bound to keep going through that awful cycle over and over again because they were under this thing called the law. They had to follow the law, the Ten Commandments, the law that Jesus or God had laid out before them, and if they didn't follow it, they, for lack of a better word, they got punished. They, were, they fell to consequences. And to atone for what they did, they lied or stole or did whatever, what they did, they had to make sacrifices. And so Jesus, when he came to earth, was like, instead of keeping going on this way where people mess up and then they have to sacrifice an animal and keep doing this over and over again and you just keep going in this cycle and it's just, it's impossible. It's impossible for you and I, I want to be closer. So he sacrificed himself. He died on the cross for your sins so that you wouldn't have to kill birds and sheep and stuff anymore. Not more than that, but, but you don't. He died on the cross. He became that sacrifice so that you didn't have to be under the law anymore. You could be under grace. And this passage of Scripture says that you, when you accept Jesus into your heart, that you're dead to sin. You don't have to go through that whole cycle anymore. That's yucky. <laughs> That's what I say to my child when he eats something off the ground. <laughs> That's yucky. Uh, oh yeah. Okay. <clears throat> you don't have to. You don't have to be a slave anymore to sin. And the only way that you will be a slave to sin is if you think you are. And you don't have to think you are. Galatians 5.1 It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Amen. Romans 13.8 let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. And that's what I want to end on. It's just find your army, right? Because you are free from sin. You don't have to be in that cycle anymore. No more. End that. Do not believe that you're going to fall in that cycle again and get your army around you. Because your army is the people that give you your identity. They say, no, Caitlin, that's not who you are. Okay? You're better than that. This is who you are. 
in an example where she's being weird. Um, but she says to me, no, McKenna, you don't have to think that you want to murder someone, okay? You're better than that. You're better than that. You're a daughter of the living God. You're not, you're not a slave to sin anymore. Amen? Jesus, thank you for this night. Thank you for what you've had to say. I do just pray that you bring soldiers into our armies, and that you bring people that can be intimate friends who love us, who are there, who are committed, who have covenant relationship with us. I pray for the drought of bad friendships and relationships to be ended in this room for every single person here in Jesus' name and that you would raise up friendships and relationships and mentors for each one of these amazing people here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.